I was a child, my brother and I were blessed to, um, to be able to play video games. We actually had our own video gaming system. And it wasn't the kind that used the CDs. No, our gaming system was the old school gaming system. The one where you had to go out and buy those big old gaming cartridges and then insert them into the system in order to play a game. Right? You know, some of you, some of you are old enough to know which one I'm talking about. So every now and then you'd be in the middle of a great game and then the system would just go wonky and do its own thing and it would freeze or something else would go wrong with it and you'd have to get up and walk because that's what we did in those days. We actually approached our computer systems and stuff. Get up and walk, eject the cartridge and do something called a reset. So the reset either was you going to the game system and turning the power off and resetting the entire system and waiting there while it booted back up, or it consisted of you ejecting the cartridge and flipping the cartridge over and busting one of these. (laughs) And then jamming that bad boy back in and starting the game again. And so every now and then, though, in the middle of a perfectly fine game with nothing going wrong with the system, somebody would just jump up and just restart the game. And that usually happened if I was playing with my brother or my cousins. And the reason that they would do that is because the game wasn't doing what they wanted it to do, which really translates into they weren't doing so well and they were getting a low score and they didn't want to be stuck with a low score. So what they do is they would just reset the whole thing and they used to call it a do-over. Now the thing with a do-over is that it required you to realize that it was more beneficial for you to stop and what you were doing rather than try to continue and either end up with a low score or even worse, not be allowed to advance to the next level in the game. Somebody say, Lord... I need a do-over. We are now at the end of the first week of the first month of the new year. And this is the time when the the calendar does an automatic reset, and we usually follow that for the most part in our own lives. It's the time of year you'll see a lot of posts on social media and on Facebook about all of the fantastic things that people have planned for their year, and sometimes people will use those whack rhyming schemes that Pastor was talking about last week. You know, you'll see things like, I'm so fresh and so clean in 2018, or it's 2018 and I'm a well-oiled machine. Yeah, those kind of whack rhyming schemes. Or people will take it to the other level and they'll they'll do these very lofty sounding posts like in the year of 2018 it will be kingdom dominion and unprecedented levels of success or it's 2018 the year of matchless elevation and unrivaled accomplishment at yeah and it's all fine and dandy when that is your reality but if we can be real for a minute what happens when that isn't your reality What happens when, in all honesty, and I mean this with the most respect and humility, your reality is different because the truth be told, you're still reeling from the events that just happened last year. And what do you do when you're not as excited about the new year as the other people around you? What do you look forward to when you don't have the unprecedented levels of success to look forward to? And what if, like some of us, you feel left out and locked out of what seems to be a circle of success that is only reserved 
for the most elite. What do you do in those particular moments when your personal accomplishments in 2017 seem like that might be the highest that you can get? And finally, what if by your own choices, you feel like getting back into the game in 2018 is somehow just out of your reach? Might I suggest to you that you do what my brother and my cousins used to do? You call out for our do-over. Somebody say, Lord, I need a do-over. Reset me. Going into the text this morning, we find that there is a backdrop that needs to be explained first before we can really dive into Peter and what's going on with him. So in the Gospel of John, we get an up-close and personal account of the 33 and a half years of Jesus' life. And we know that the first few chapters deal with the person of Jesus. He, He is the Word made flesh. It includes his birth. It includes the introduction to the foreground of Jesus's ministry where he's baptized by his cousin John the Baptist and his first recorded miracle at the wedding of Cana. And as we move through the chapters, we see a full picture of Jesus unfolding, including his relationship with his disciples. And there are three disciples specifically that seem distinguished from the rest. And they are James and John. Those are brothers. Sometimes they're called the sons of thunder. And there's Peter. And it is that third disciple, Peter, that we're going to be drawing our lesson from today. Peter, like many of the other disciples, had the benefit of a close relationship with Jesus during his estimated three and a half years of ministry. And during those years, Peter had a lot of triumphs and he had a lot of successes, but he also had a lot of low points. It was Peter and his brother Andrew that were the first disciples that were called by Jesus when he told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's Matthew 4, 18 to 19. And it was Peter that walked out on the water when the Lord told him to come, Matthew 14, 29 to 31. And it was Peter that first received the revelation of Jesus Christ being the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 13 to 20. But it was also Peter who though he had boldly declared that he would never desert Jesus and indeed was even willing to lay down his life for the Lord who ultimately ended up failing Jesus. And even though he was foretold of the pending denial of Jesus in John 13 verses 31 to 38 and also in Luke 24, it is this same Peter who ultimately ended up succumbing to the arrogance of his own pride and self-reliance and ending up denying Jesus three times in John 18, 15 to 27. And that's before Jesus was crucified in John chapter 19. So in John chapter 20, Jesus is resurrected. He's seen by Mary Magdalene, and he's also seen two separate times by groups of disciples. So by the time we get to John chapter 21, Peter is actually already aware that Jesus is risen. Now, if there's any, ever anyone in history that needed a do-over, it's Peter. And though this text is full of so many wonderful lessons, there are three things that I believe that can help us navigate our own do-over. The first one is a do-over or a reset requires obedience. In verses three to seven, we find Peter, a career fisherman, deciding to go back out on a fishing expedition. Now, since Jesus' last appearance to the disciples, there's no account in the gospel of any instruction that was given to Peter or the disciples as to what they were supposed to be doing in the meantime. 
And so whether it was out of necessity for making some money and making a living, because, I mean, man has to eat, or it was out of desperation just to feel something normal and something familiar, Peter decides he's going fishing and a couple of the disciples go with him. Peter is not unlike us. How many times have we found ourselves in a position where we weren't exactly sure what we were supposed to be doing, so we just resort back to, you know, doing what's normal to us and doing what's comfortable? Especially as the new year hits, we start off making a lot of resolutions, but truth be told, if we look at our history, and there seems to be a tendency of just going right back eventually into our comfort zone and just resorting back to status quo in general. And that's exactly what Peter did. He went fishing with the expectation that he was going to catch fish because that's what Peter did. Except the Bible says that they fished all night and caught nothing. And so Jesus turns up on the scene and without them even realizing who it was that was speaking to them, he gives them an instruction and they obey it. This is key to the process of a do-over in 2018 obedience to the word of God obedience to the word of God because Jesus had supernatural knowledge of where they could find their supply and it's because of their obedience that their productivity increased exponentially in a moment compared to what had happened when they depended on their own efforts and expertise In 2018, you will need to be obedient to the word that you receive from the Lord, no matter how simplistic it may seem. In fact, part of how you can recognize that it is the Lord at work is by the result of your obedience. Verse 7 says that when they were unable to pull in the catch because of how big it was, that's when John said, it is the Lord. Nothing else had changed. They still couldn't see Jesus's face from where they were on the boat. Jesus didn't announce himself. He didn't tell them who he was before he gave them the instruction. There were no other indicators of what his identity was aside from the miraculous result of his instruction to them. Now, Peter being Peter and being an expert fisherman could have dismissed the instruction that he was given as they'd been out all night and had more than likely tried various means and spots to catch fish. He could have simply chosen to ignore the instruction that he was given. Remember, this was his fishing expedition. He was the one who decided to go fishing, and the others decided to join him. So really, he had the right to call all of the shots. Realistically, if it was me, to be honest, I probably would have had a bad attitude about it. If I had been out all night on the water with my mandem, looking for some food, trying to make a little bit of living, and had caught absolutely nothing, trying to make my way back morning time now, and somebody is standing offshore, yelling at me, telling me, oh, you didn't catch anything? Put it on the right side of the boat, because I've been out all night and didn't try that? Like, honestly, that probably would have... I. I'm like that from time to time. That probably would have been my response. I would have been like, no, differently. Man them been out on the boat all night. Didn't catch nothing. Not a guppy, not a goldfish. And you are telling me, put it on the right side? But Peter didn't have all of that attitude, no. He simply obeyed the instruction that he was given. And it is because of his obedience that he ended up face to face with his Lord. Somebody say, 
Lord, I need a do-over. Now, there's something noteworthy here that I wanted to point out. Even though Peter was the one that responded to hearing that it was the Lord, it was John that noted it was the Lord. This is something else I think is really important for us to know in life in general, but particularly for some reason in 2018, pay attention to the people who are around you. Make sure you have people in your corner who can discern when the Lord is at work in your life, especially if you've been through a mess up and you're in the middle of a do over and being reset. You need people who can step back and tell you that's God do what you need to do. Peter's response was to what he heard from someone who already discerned and caught the revelation that the Lord is doing something. So in 2018, please, if you do nothing else, make sure that those who surround you are those who have a relationship with the Lord and can discern when it is him at work. Say, I need a do-over. Number two, a reset or a do-over will restore us to the plan. Verses 15 to 19. I say restore us to the plan instead of restore the plan because the truth is that God's intent for us doesn't change. Regardless of our mess ups, our poor choices, and in this case, our denials, his plan for us does not waver. We may change, his plan does not. We stray off course, but as the text tells us, when we get a do-over, when we get a reset, we are restored to God's original intent. Verse 15 to 17 reads, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Actually, the translation of that is as hurt. He was hurt because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, Peter was no doubt reminded of the epic fail that he had when the Lord asked him three times if he loved him, because it's a very humbling thing to have to face your own frailty. To acknowledge that no matter how much you thought of yourself, no matter how well intended you may have been, no matter how closely you walked with the Lord, your humanity can find ways of getting you into trouble. Thank God that where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more, Romans 5 and 20. When Jesus asked him three times if he loved him, Peter was given the opportunity to use the same mouth that denied Christ three times to now openly acknowledge his love and own the humility that comes with acknowledging complete reliance on the Lord instead of your own strength. There's another account that I just want to bring in here because it applies. It is an account in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 1 to 6. And God sends Jeremiah down to a potter's house and tells him to observe the potter and observe the clay that he's working with. And in verse number four, it says that while the potter was working with the clay, the clay became shakath. That word is marred or corrupted in the hand of the potter. And so the potter begins to make again another vessel. And back in the day, we used to put emphasis on the word another. The idea being that somehow we had messed up so badly that now God had to make us something completely different um, than what he had originally intended. 
And synonymous with that idea of another was the idea of lesser. So not only was he making us something else, he was making us something else that was less impactful, less important, less a part of God's plan. That's the ideology we had back in the day. But instead of focusing on the word another, can we just thank God for the word again? That word again, shuv in Hebrew, it means amongst other things, breaking down to build, to restore, to refresh, to repurpose. And it says that he made us again another. The truth of the matter is, is as a potter, if the clay becomes marred in your hand, you have every right to discard the clay because it's not working with you. But instead of discarding us, I'm grateful to God that instead he works us over and over and over again. Somebody say, God, I need a do-over. Make no mistake. We need to be broken down and rebuilt in the process of restoration. This was not only something that Peter had experienced, but he was walking it out right as in this here text. For it says that Peter was grieved when Jesus asked him a third time if he loved him. And he was grieved because it forced him to go back to a place that he was disappointed in himself. A place where he had failed his Lord. And yet, in order to go back, it was, it was necessary for him to go back there in order to continue his process of being reset. We sometimes will also need to come face to face with our failures and shortcomings in the process of God's restoration plan. And now in verse 19, we see the completion of the act of restoration when Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Now the last time Jesus said those words to Peter was actually also the first time Jesus said those words to Peter. Back in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 19. And he says to him, I follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And here he's speaking to Peter and he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Here's another thing I'd like to draw out of this text. And it ties into what I mentioned before, this idea of again, another. Another doesn't have to be less. When he called Peter, he called Peter as a fisherman and said, follow me, come with me. When he restores Peter, he restores him to the position of a shepherd, just like his Christ. And he says to him, feed my lambs. Lambs are innocent. Lambs are immature. Feed the young ones. Tend my sheep. He speaks and says to him, you need to take care of my people. Feed my sheep. Ensure that they're taken care of. When he restores him, he does not make him lesser. When he restores you, he will not make you lesser. That's the God that we serve. That is the God of the reset. Somebody say, God, I need a do-over. Reset me. And the next time we see Peter 
It's in the book of Acts, which is immediately following chapter 21. And in the first chapter, it says that Peter and some other followers are in an upper room with about 120 people in total. And they're waiting on, on the Lord and his instruction. And it says Peter stands up to address the group and he takes charge while reminding them of what the scripture had prophesied. And he says to them, you know, um, it would be right for us to replace Judas. Judas was the one who had betrayed the Lord in the end and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And he says, according to the canon, it would seem right that we, that we choose someone else to take Judas's place. And so I, I was looking at it and I thought, now what right would Peter have to take this level of responsibility? So I had to jump back into scripture and take a look at Luke chapter 22, verse 34. Remember in Luke chapter 18, there's an account of him denying the Lord. And that same account is also found in Luke chapter 22. And in that chapter, Jesus is speaking expressly to his disciples. And he's talking to them about leadership and servanthood. And those who are the greatest must become the least. And those who are chiefest amongst you as, as leaders must also be servants. Because Jesus was a servant. And if you're going to follow him then you need to do what he does and that was while Jesus was preparing to be offered up in the crucifixion as a sacrificial lamb and in the middle of that conversation about leadership and servanthood he calls out Peter and he says Simon Simon Satan has desired to have you and to sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not and when you are converted strengthen the brethren three verses later Peter denies the Lord can it be based on the original plan that God had that Peter strengthen the brethren after his conversion that Peter is now stepping into that plan that the word that the Lord spoke even before he messed up is now coming to fruition in his life. Because God guaranteed through Jesus that he would be converted. It's not a question. That is a statement, a guaranteed fact. When you are converted, you will be converted. You will change back. You will revert back to where I originally intended. When you get there, strengthen the brethren. And that is exactly what he's doing. And in Acts chapter 2, we find Peter, again, in the same upper room on the day of Pentecost, being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with tongues of other nations. And those that were listening thought Peter that Peter and those that were with him were drunk. But Peter says, no, we're not drunk. That's not what this is. It's not as you seem, brethren. This is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your your young Young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and I will pour out my spirit upon my servants and my handmaidens in those days out of my spirit and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and I will show signs in the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke and then Peter goes on and he starts to challenge the people and reveal to them that through this Old Testament it really is Jesus coming alive out of the Old Testament pulling it out and bringing him into their reality that 
is Peter. And again, in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John on their way to the temple. There's a man lying at the gate called Beautiful. He's lame and he's begging for alms. And Peter looks at him and says, look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the word says he reaches and pulls the man up by his hand. And immediately strength came to his ankles and his feet and he leaps up. Acts chapter 4 verse 4, Peter and the other disciples, they are preaching and they continue to declare the word of the Lord and over 5,000 men, that means not counting women and children, are also saved. Acts chapter 5, there are sick people laying in the streets. Peter is walking by, his shadow is cast. Those who are in his shadow get healed. Who is Peter? Peter, 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 wait a second. Is this not the same Peter that was a joker that used to love talk? The things with no backative. When it comes to following through, he doesn't ante up his backative, his sway. Isn't this the same Peter who loves to run his mouth about how he'll follow Jesus to prison and even to the grave? And yet, when the time came, threw up the deuces and said, Jesus, you're on your own. Man needs to preserve himself. Isn't this the same Peter who messed it all up? What gives him the right to do this? I'm glad you asked. Because that brings us to point number three. A do-over or a reset will realign you with and release you into purpose. This is Peter's purpose at work. This Peter now who is standing and preaching the word of the Lord. This Peter who is in chapter 10 receives an open vision from the Lord and realizes that the gospel is not only for the Jews. No, it's for the Gentiles. That's why you and I have access to this gospel because the revelation that Peter received and it opened the doors for the good news to be preached to the Gentiles. This Peter in Acts chapter 12 was preaching so much that the the people who are in charge, the the Sadducees and the local hierarchy and those hypocrites in high places decided they were sick of Peter and and those who were preaching the disciples who were preaching the gospel so they locked him up and supernaturally an angel releases him from the prison and he goes right back out and preaching. This preacher is Peter. Peter is not a joker. He's not this little scallywag that was running around before not knowing what he was doing, running his mouth and not being able to follow through. This Peter is a pillar. This Peter is a rock. This is Peter in purpose. And so you're here today and you might be thinking, this really eh, doesn't apply to me. I mean, hey, my 2017 was fantastic. My 2018 is looking up. Why, why should I even bother for a reset? If you don't need a a reset now, live a little longer. Because it's only a matter of time before you will also need a do-over. And when that time comes, because it will come, remember, a reset will require your obedience. A reset will restore you to the plan. And a reset will realign you with and release you into purpose. In the last few minutes, I want to share something with you. Because as much as I wrote down, some of it I left out. Some of it the Lord gave me as I was, as I was standing here. Um, but as much as I was preaching this to you, I'm also speaking to myself. Because me standing on this stage right now 
is an illustrative sermon. I'm in the middle of my own do-over. I'm being reset as I stand here on this stage. Because like Peter, I know what it is to deny the Lord. And not deny him in the sense of deny my relationship with him. Because as many of you may remember, if you were here on Thanksgiving, when there were five of us up here speaking, and I I gave part of my testimony and said that it's been over 20 years that I've been saved. I've never denied who the Lord is to me, but I have denied his lordship over me. For the first 15 to 16 years of, of my Christianity, I was busy real busy doing everything for the Lord. I mean, as a young person, I was on the youth choir. I was on the youth praise team. I was on the youth prayer team. At one point, I was an assistant youth leader. I was preaching. When they asked me to preach, I would give a message. I was on the drama team for the youth department as I got a little older. I was in presbytery on two different separate occasions at two different churches. I was a part of the counseling ministry. I was a part of the women's ministry. I mean, you name it. I was busy. I maximized my singleness. <laughs> I maximized my youth. I really did. But there came a point in my walk where I decided for myself that there were things that I actually didn't enjoy doing. I had never actually enjoyed doing. I just did it because I wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And one of those things was speaking. I don't enjoy speaking at all. I don't enjoy things that bring attention to me or that make me um, have to be at the forefront. And so I started to tell the Lord what I would and wouldn't do based on what made me comfortable. So if it was anything in the background, my hand was up, I will volunteer. Anything that would require me to come forward, nope. Michelle, can you? Nope. We're actually asking that, nope. As long as it was anywhere in the foreground or in the foreground or anything that I did not want to do, the answer was no. I could say it in French, I could say it in Spanish, I could say it in English. It was just no, no, no. It all sounds the same, no. And earlier last year, I sat down and realized that probably for the last five or six years of my life, I've been comfortable but not fulfilled. And so I had to start praying and asking God, what am I supposed to do, God? Because I feel like I've, I've missed a lot. As comfortable as I've been, I feel like I've missed a lot. And the Lord said, obey. And so I said, okay, God. From now on, I will not be so quick to tell you no. And I lie to you not. I don't even think it was two weeks that passed before pastor came to me. And pastor said, I really feel like the Lord is laying on my heart. That you should be a part of our panel of five people to speak on Thanksgiving. And the normal part of me inside was like, no! But I remembered... I promised obedience to the Lord. And so I said, yes, sir, I'll speak. And shortly after that, he came back to me and he said, you know, I'd like for you to do the address before offering. And I thought, "Uh okay, yes, Lord, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And to be quite honest, after that first time that I did the offering, which would have been the second time that I spoke, I went home and I thought I just messed that up so bad. I'm like, this man will never call me back to the pulpit. Praise God. 
And by the end of the day, pastor sent me a messenger. He's like, hey, didn't get to touch base with you after service, but I'd like for you to do that again next Sunday. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. And so he restored me to his original plan. And so as I stand here today, I speak from a personal place and from an honest place that when you ask God for a do-over, he'll do it in your life. And I don't know what purpose looks like from here on out, but I'm willing and I pray that every person here today that is in need of a do-over, that needs a reset in your business, in your life, in your relationships, whatever it may be, trust the God of the reset. Trust the God of the do-over. Somebody say, Lord, I need a do-over. Reset me. Be blessed.